0: Welcome to On the Middle East, i monitor's podcast on the big stories in the region. On Sunday, October 29th, Turkey will be celebrating its 100th anniversary as a republic. Today I'll be discussing the legacy of Kemal Atatürk, the iconic founder of modern Turkey. His determined drive to steer Turkey towards the West continues to divide the country between those who support his secularist ideals and the rest who believe that his efforts to stamp out religiosity from public life were an aberration. For the past 20 years, Turkey has been led by an overt Islamist, Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Critics accuse the president of seeking to reverse Turkey's secular course. So how much has Turkey really changed in these hundred years? With us here today to discuss these complex issues is Selim Kuru, a Turkish scholar and the editor of Kulturkampf, a blog that delves into popular culture and politics in contemporary Turkey. Selim is among my favorite Turkey analysts. Welcome to our program, Selim. It's a delight to have you with us here today.
1: Thank you. It's delighted to be here.
0: So we're going to be talking about Turkey's 100th birthday as a republic, which will be celebrated across the country on October 29th. So in the run up to this anniversary, of course, there's a lot of, well, not a lot, but quite a bit of punditry. I guess everybody's much more focused on the Middle East, on Gaza right now. But still, it is a significant um, date and a time to sort of take stock of what's happened in this past century. So to play the devil's advocate here, perhaps, I mean, isn't Turkey looking a little more like it did in 1923? That, that in fact, what ails Turkey perhaps <laughs> is the fact that, is the fact that how little it's changed on key issues like, you know, the Kurds, um, on on corruption, on leadership, you know, the leadership cult, the instinct for that, militarism. Um, The military, yes, maybe not as strong a political force as it was, but it's become a very, um, very critical tool of this regime, militarism. Well, you know, with its forays into Syria, Libya, Armenia, etc. So, you know, I would argue that that in some ways Turkey, in fact, hasn't changed, and that's the real problem here.
1: Structurally, I think you're right in the sense that yes, uh, at the at the beginning, so 1923, you have a one man regime, as as it's often said, and you know until Atatürk dies, that doesn't change that sort of structure, right? And now we have a one-man regime, certainly. Um, And Erdogan is, without any doubt, the most powerful and the most successful uh, Turkish leader since Atatürk, right? Now, that being the case, the, the sort of charge or the polarity of Turkey as a country and as a state has changed significantly, I'd say. I mean, Atatürk's project was about sort of uh, encasing the the sort of current borders of the republic, uh, making that stick as much as possible, right? Because this generation had had lived through a lot of trauma; they they had seen their country shrink more and more, right? So his project was about sort of maintaining that that territorial structure, and then transforming the country into into sort of a european modern modern nation state right with erdogan the the charge of the project has changed right so he's also interested in modernization he's also interested in um in sort of the 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 national project as well in sort of unification and all that stuff but he doesn't have the he doesn't have the same republican model in mind right because his sort of ideological descendants are actually they trace themselves back to the monarchists of the late ottoman period and, and early republican period because um you know the kamal's project was from its beginning severely criticized by a group of islamists and modern uh, and monarchists right and edon is part of that tradition so his point is um the the caliphate, for example, that that was abolished in, in favor of a republic uh was an immense source of power for Turkey, right? And it's it was an immense source of power because of its sort of expansionist potential, because Turkey was more than just simply a country. It was it was this uh it was an imperial project, right? So part of what we're seeing is is a return to that imperial project uh, of of you know Turkey's borders are now um, more wishy-washy, right? It's it, it's not very clear where the country starts and where it ends anymore, right? And that's by design. That's that's that is a, a consequence of of this political project. Um, it's it's military deployments, right? Or much more aspirational i would say um it's it's culture as well i think you know empires behave in different like the united states for example is is a much more sort of if if you just look at everyday culture in the united states it's much more militaristic it's much more sort of uh much more uh, today they call it tactical or, or tactical or whatever People who own guns in their homes, you know. It's 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 much more about soldiering and 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 that sort of thing. Whereas in, in in Europe, you have a strategic culture that's very, it's very comfortable, right, with American hegemony, and that's um, it doesn't feel an urgency to to engage in sort of preparation and defense and all that stuff, right? Whereas Turkey is much more like the United States today. Um, it's much more ready, if you will.
0: Well, I would push back a little against what you're saying, uh, Selim, because I think it's all, always been pretty paranoid, Turkey, and always fearful of all these enemies and, you know, malign agendas, uh, all a hangover, obviously, from the days when the empire was uh, crumbling and foreign, the, the, the victors of the war were trying to partition Turkey, you know, the Kurdish state, the Armenian state, etc. So... When you talk about the blurry borders and Turkish militarism, I I, I would like to refer us back to, you know, the Kurdish issue, which, in my mind, seems, you know, an abiding um, problem in Turkey, uh, and one that is very much uh, uh, the root of quite a bit of the insecurity that Turkey has, which predates this regime. And so where this one you know uses different means to address it militarily because the conflict has shifted beyond its borders i guess you could say quote unquote it's been successful in that sense in moving it outside turkey and it's now a conflict where obviously you don't have guerrilla warfare uh, that resulted in huge casualties uh for the turkish military at times anyway so i mean again i would in, i would argue that <laughs> it's precisely these huge problems that remain unaddressed by turkey uh that that make its future this country that has so much potential such a great entrepreneurial spirit that you know a creative people uh such a young population still even though that's changing it, that, that that that's what's kind of holding it back and um the fact that it's failed to solve these problems, allows these authoritarian leaders to retain power, whether they're Erdogan with his big following or whether it's military backed, um, you know, civilian governments that we saw for successive decades.
1: Not sure. I think, I mean, obviously the Kurdish question is very important. And it was certainly, 2015 was a turning point. Uh, in terms of strategic culture for Turkey, because it's when the Kurdish peace process broke down and and the Erdogan government sort of turned the corner and became much more convinced that it it could find military solutions to to these to these problems, whereas before it was very critical of the of the military establishment, the Kemalist establishment, and thought that it, it could sort of transcend the Kurdish issue much more. And yeah, I mean, um, they they reverted to to uh, some of the uh, sort of pre existing attitudes towards towards the Kurdish issue. But at the same time, I mean Erdogan is is I mean Turkey and and the the sort of new Turkey phenomenon, this the recent, most recent new Turkey phenomenon, is just one of many others, right? A, a similar dynamic is happening in India. It's you know there it's happening in Hungary, it's happening in Russia, right? Uh there's some fail starts like uh, Brazil, um the United States. So th- this there seems to be something in the world today um that invites this sort of uh nationalism right? Or or it's been called, it's been called many different things. Um Right, but or or revisionism, shall we say, right? Th- there seems to be something about, especially the liberal, perhaps hegemonic moment of the United States that invites this that um, that makes people think in this way and that makes people sort of yearn back and and try to revise, radically revise um, what they see as sort of the the order of the world they've been given. And the Kurdish issue, I think, is is one of the things uh, that prevented Turkey from being more democratic. But I'm not sure. I'm not convinced that it. I mean, we we obviously can't ever know for sure. But I'm not convinced that it was the sort of the the original sin even of of the country that that prevented it from moving forward.
0: Oh, I wouldn't call it the original sin. I think um, you know, if you need a sort of a, a baseline. Perhaps the original sin was not um, coming to, uh, you know, uh, grips with what happened in 1915 with the Armenian genocide, you know, if this new republic could have sort of cleaned the slate and perhaps faced up to it. But of course, it was a different time. It was a time when, you know, national socialism was rising in Germany, you had, you know, Mussolini in Italy. So to expect uh, Swedish behavior, quote unquote, from Attaturk in those circumstances is pro- probably fanciful. But I would still insist it's this failure to, uh, you know, um, own up to its original sins and, you know, to sort of engage in meaningful self critique that it that has held turkey back in many ways and just deepened the divides um but turning to religion because of course the biggest critique of atatürk was as we said uh the fact that him and his followers were accused of trying to strip society of islam uh in such a way that it was like hugely traumatic um and, and that this the current government is all about trying to, you know, reverse that imbalance, would you say that Erdogan has succeeded? Because I'm reading all kinds of surveys about how younger people are not as pious as they used to be, of Islam, a new generation of uh, Islamist feminists who find the figure of Ataturk interesting, if not appealing. And, uh, I mean, writ large, that, that, there is sort of a bit of pushback now against this heavy injection coming from above of, you know, pious thinking culture.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I have conflicting ways of, of thinking about this in a way, if we take religion seriously, then we'd have to say that, you know, Erdogan and, and people like Erdogan aren't succeeding but if we don't then if we take it as a sort of political phenomenon then we might be inclined to say that they are so specifically what i'm thinking about is if religion is sort of a way of moving past this life and, and really being in touch with uh, the transcendent um then it, it's failing because it's much more worldly than it ever used to be right? all these religious people all these religious orders in turkey for example are much more powerful and they they strive for power right they they there is this very very overt uh, attempt to be much more powerful in this world right and you know, theologians might discuss this as well like is, is islam supposed to be powerful in this world is is it supposed to um Aspire to that much power and stuff. But of course, sort of striving for power makes you do things um that aren't really religiously permissible, right? It it makes you build yourself into something that that commits lots of sins, I would argue, right? And if you look at uh, society today, Turkish society today, even the Islamists are much less Islam sort of Religious than they used to be, and and when they sort of th- there are all these studies about how people justify religious behavior. You know, uh, do you, do you pray five times a day because you, you're supposed supposed to, or do you feel the need to justify that by saying, oh, it's actually healthy for you to to sort of get up? It's like Islamic yoga or something like that.
0: <laughs> Islamic like, yoga.
1: You know, fasting is supposed to be healthy for you, right? And they and that you know all these all these. People people feel the need to revert to all these justifications to, to get people into 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 that. And even if they don't, like if um if you're working in some office and you know the boss is going to Friday prayer every every Friday, um you are going to have this sort of incentive to go along, right? To to
0: sure.
1: be with the powerful people when they're when they're being religiously observant, right? It's, um like people smoking because because stuff gets done in the, on the smoking break kind of thing <laughs>
0: um,
1: you know so so in that sense we might look at a country like turkey and say well it's it's less religious but on another in another sense um you do see religion becoming much more prominent and and sort of uh, a powerful symbol in the country right so it is it is so Islam, I would say, is thinner in Turkey than it used to be, but it's it's more prevalent.
0: So you would say spiritually thinner, but um, I guess in 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 terms of how it's leveraged politically, more prevalent.
1: Yeah, it's more it's ubiquitous. Yeah.
0: So that's is that a good thing? I mean, Atatürk wouldn't have liked that. We know that.
1: He wouldn't have no. Um, they that that group, especially in the military, the late Ottoman, the late Ottomans were sort of, many of them subscribed to uh, uh, a sort of European fad of it's been called vulgar materialism, like a, a vulgar materialism. It's it's got German origins of sort of is this this very base sort of atheism and and scientism. And and he was sort of into that a little bit, and uh, he certainly had radical sort of uh, secularist ideas for the time. So he he certainly wouldn't have liked it. I would argue that many of the people who sort of are very overtly religious aren't really religious in 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 any meaningful sense, right? That they there's all this talk of of heaven and hell which is very much alive in turkey and in all, all this talk of you know what's permissible and what's not um especially among the elite is sort of for show that that people don't actually believe in this in these things
0: i mean that's one thing but then when it's written into law it's another and women particularly are feeling more vulnerable today than they did say Um, When Erdogan first came to power and was in fact pushing reforms that were hugely to their advantage. Remember when they revised the civil code where men are no longer the head of the family, for example, when intramarital Mm -hmm. rape became a a, a criminal offense in Turkey. These were huge things and now all being reversed with Turkey pulling out of the Istanbul Convention and, uh, you know, a lot of talk about, again, revising laws in ways that uh, favor men uh those have real consequences especially you know and being done in the name of of islam of religion of piety so it, it, you know it's real
1: yeah i think those kinds of things are on track to continue certainly and i would say again that is part of a global trend you know if you look at uh, if you look at other big conservative leaders in places like india and russia and, and elsewhere similar things are happening but they are sort of dressing it up in their own in their own local sure local sure
0: i mean the context is very important but you know if i'm a turkish woman um who believes that i should have you know equal rights as men equal opportunity freedom to you know worship dress as i choose um I don't care if it's also happening in India. I want to know what I can do to stop it in my own country, where I live. And another of the great tragedies of Turkey today is the fact that there is no real credible opposition. And I think what we just had uh, in May with the total collapse, and, you know, they were disgraced. The opposition was disgraced. What Turks who disagree with this trajectory do to reverse it because a lot of them are voting with their feet they're leaving the country bright people like you are are leaving the country in droves i
1: don't know i think it's very difficult i i think uh, especially in a country like especially in turkey where um i think the the regime is, is very skilled right they're, they're very good at uh, keeping themselves above water And making sure that the opposition doesn't reform and and regroup right they're very good at playing that game they've they've proven that to everybody i think even even when people were sort of betting against them in this in this last election they were good at they were good at keeping that up i don't know where we can look for hope It, it is hopeful that some of the the, the the sort of the status quo power, shall we say, the, in the United States, for example, you know, you've got a president who um, claims to be the most pro labor or pro labor union president uh, in recent memory, for example, or you know, engaging in industrial policy and all that stuff. Maybe that's maybe that's a hopeful start to a new sort of pattern that could emerge, right? Um, But in
0: our lifetimes, in mine anyway, uh, Joe Biden being pro-Labor doesn't matter at all (laughs) to to, to my future in Turkey. Um, Uh,
1: No, in Turkey, I I don't think in Turkey we're going to see sort of anything good happening for the the non-Erdogan voting Half of the country, anytime soon. I think. I think what's what's likely to happen in Turkey is that um, the system becomes more entrenched because Erdogan has currency now, not just among his sort of half of voters, but among the opposition as well. I think the, the they've they've destroyed the opposition so thoroughly, and undermined them and routed them. Uh, in successive elections, so thoroughly that um, people people are sort of depoliticized, and they're willing to sort of accept accept the Erdogan order, accept the Erdogan victory, and then um, defer whatever political opinions they have to the future. I think I think that's what's going on.
0: So this one man regime is well entrenched. There's no credible threat to it yet. Of course, it's one man, and he, like with the rest of us, is mortal. So I guess from the regime's perspective, the biggest uncertainty uh, with regard to its, you know able to its ability to sustain itself is succession. Um, so that's one thing I'd like to talk to you about. you know, if and when, well, not if when Erdogan passes away, what happens?
1: um yeah that that is i think that's the big question hanging over them now that is the big problem they'll have i don't think there's any obvious successor and you know every once in a while he tries with his sons-in-law well, with the with the one son-in-law, anyways. Uh,
0: well, that didn't go- turn out too well, did it? He kind of yeah, yeah, the economy and then went into hiding. Now they are sort of, I guess, grooming the Mister Drone, as uh, the I'm not younger sure they daughter's know. husband. Who
1: I, I think he wants to. He he wants to get into politics. He wants. Think
0: to- he does, but you're not certain that the father-in-law is totally on board with it.
1: No, I'm not. Yeah,
0: really. Even I though Sumei is his favorite, and that she's very she's smart as a whip. I mean, yeah, I sure. Time, I mean, enough time with her to, to 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 realize that she's pretty, pretty intelligent, charismatic. I mean, I I don't share her worldview, obviously, but she's an impressive young woman.
1: Yeah, but I, I think I mean, listen, in, intelligence is intelligent people are a dime a dozen. There's intelligent people everywhere. It's just. I, I, obviously, she's well placed, but you know, negotiating power and managing power, managing people at that level—that's um, just something else. And I don't think um, the the Bidaktar brothers really have that. Sounds they're, they're
0: like a team. rock band, the Pyractar brothers.
1: Yeah, they—I mean, they're, they're a good team. They're—they're they're good at business. Um, Obviously, good at the 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 engineering and the science, right? And and picking good people and producing good products and things. But politics is a, a politics at that level, at that high level, is a whole different game.
0: So, and... who do you think is well positioned then? Because, of course, the other uh, figure that everyone points to is uh, the foreign minister. Um...
1: Yeah,
0: Fidan, and I mean, all the social media around him, you, he's clearly there are people out there who are trying to sort of push him. Um, and, I mean, when you look at his social media compared to Chavush, oh, oh my god, it's night and day, right? Very uh, glossy, just yeah, I think
1: that Fidan, the, the Fidan option is even less likely. Than... Oh,
0: tell me why. This is
1: fascinating. Like... Why? He's just not he doesn't even look like a politician. He doesn't even have that sort of energy around him. I mean, Are we sure of that?
0: Maybe not quite yet, but just his body language, the way he carries himself, the way he sits, you know, projecting so much confidence, machismo. I mean, it's like he's straight out of Valley of the Wolves kind of, you know. And so intelligence background sort in the eyes of the man on the street he's you know I've used this word before about him makes him kind of sexy right appealing attractive projecting strength and you know all of that and yeah. I mean what's 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 really amazing is that there are a lot of Kurdish people who feel that way about him you know imagining that and and just clinging to the the to the belief that somehow he was really in favor of those peace talks when in fact he was just an instrument in my view but anyway i'll let you carry on
1: Job, um, i don't see that about him and i don't see um okay yeah, what makes erdogan special is that he's able to a he's never backed down he's got that that willpower that impenetrable uh unstoppable willpower that's the synakonian of of any great leader right um and he's able to manage people in a very um sort of visceral way he, he makes them compete against each other right it, it, and and through that competition he's able to manage them it's it's really fascinating and i think that developed through many years of sort of grassroots politics right he, he he's honed that and his mind is very much the mind of um, I won't say a poet but that like poetry recitals were i think his formative intellectual training right he he recited lots of poetry and he read you know uh, religious texts well, just
0: being able to memorize all of that requires a pretty big brain doesn't it
1: sure yeah i mean so so erdogan had that and he he's always had that sort of exceptionalism right um now i understand that the the the, the next person we can't just look for another erdogan right yeah, that, that never works. That it, History doesn't work that way. The next person's always different, especially the next person after somebody like this who builds a regime. Right? um, So so that, that's not a good way of, of looking for somebody. But they'd still have to have a similar, at least, skill set. They'd still have to, because this is an incredibly centralized regime. But, but right? is he
0: uh, the one thinking about all of that? Or is it the people around him? Do you think that he is, you know, very concerned about succession? Because somebody like that, in my mind, sees themselves as sort of immortal, immortal and
1: I think unbeatable. He, he probably is concerned about succession. Yeah, mm. he does. He does care about that. He because that's how you beat the other Turks of the world, right? That's that's how you well the other that's how you endure. Your thing should endure longer than his.
0: Well, I mean, Hugh Pope, <laughs> the British journalist who used to, you know, be based in Turkey and wrote that great book with his, uh, with his former partner, Turkey Unveiled, Nicole Pope. He 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 said that Erdogan is jealous of Ataturk because he hasn't managed to surpass him. Would you agree with that assessment as we well, approach this big good. anniversary, which the government clearly isn't so keen on celebrating, ultimately, at least that's what the secularists say, and that they're almost, you know, relieved that this Gaza thing happened because it allows them to, ha- you know have a more or less sort of festive anniversary. They have an excuse at least.
1: I think I think Erdogan maybe a decade ago um you know the comparison to Atatürk might have elicited jealousy or or resentment but now it's a much more realistic prospect i think
0: that he will <laughs> his legacy will be the defining legacy of modern turkey until someone like him and of greater consequence comes along is that what you're saying
1: so so in in the islamist thinking um the Kemalist reforms and the Kemalist republic was a sort of deviation of uh, the the natural path of history and
0: the parentheses and, the 70 year parentheses
1: yeah exactly it, it, it was um it was a deviation of the civilizational core of the turkish people right Never mind that the Turkish people as a nation—that's no modern concept. Um, so, so I think I do think his thinking is to, to that he is closing the parentheses. Right, and if you, if you actually go on the on the Centennial's website, there's, there's a website with. Yeah, yeah, uh, I've been. been planning it since 2020. Um, if you, if you go on the website, there's, there's a very clear comparison between, you know, Ataturk and Erdogan, right? It's like half the website is devoted to Ataturk, half the website is devoted to Erdogan, and then it's it's just all Erdogan, right? <laughs> there's a timeline where, uh, the timeline of the last 100 years, it's like the, 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 the first 10, 15 years are very busy, and then in between, nothing happens pretty much, very few things, and then it's Erdogan, a lot of activity once again, right? So two great men at, at sort of opposing ends of a of a century, and yeah, you know, one of Erdogan's slogans recently has been, "We've we've done a hundred years' work in twenty years."
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, what, what does that mean exactly? Like, what the what happened in the in the other eighty years? Well, that's the parenthesis. That's the. the That's what you have to undo, but you have to do so gradually, very, very deliberately, right? Um, But that's what they've been
0: doing. And they've been very successful, some would say, but others would counter, well, half of the population, as you pointed out, is opposed to this regime and to its ideology. So I guess my final question to you, Selim, though I could talk to you for hours, is Are people, um, let's say, of your parents' generation who were firmly, I'm not saying your father or your parents were, but in general, the sort of secular people in Turkey, are they sort of on the brink of extinction? And are people of my generation who hoped there could be a meeting somewhere, a common ground that could be forged between people who think like us, let's say, liberal Urban, secular, but you know, open-minded and want to fix all these big problems in Turkey. That the, the people like us too, there's just no room left for us. I mean, many of us, of course, can't even go back to Turkey. So is 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 that all are we all being squeezed out? And is there a new generation of Turks who are very different um to Turkey? Your parents' generation, minor generation, who who are now prevailing, and that's that really is a new, new Turkey. That the Turkey as we knew it is dead, or dying.
1: Well, it certainly seems to be the intent to to squeeze out people who who don't like this regime, right? And the people who who can get squeezed out, other people with the with the. What the most means to it right as you pointed out if you, if you have the money and the skills and the diplomas you can move to europe or the united states or wherever you want to go uh, nobody really moves to non-western countries or well, very few people do but i'm not sure if, if, if this is the end really if like uh, if if this great revisionist project has actually succeeded, and that there is no turning back, or uh, turning
0: in a different direction, back is probably not what we want, right? Yeah, I think
1: I think the hope of many liberals and leftists was to build on the republic, right? To recognize its its serious flaws yeah. and mistakes um but but then with every generation to reinterpret and and uh refine it right to make it better as you go along um i i think you know part of me the optimistic take is that maybe sometimes countries need to go through phases like this where you know it is very destructive but uh I could also see 10 years, 15, 20 years down the line that you know that this could be seen as a time when we as a country very clearly were able to see that that Islamism didn't really work, that that was, it might lead us to get a bit disenchanted with nationalism. Right? The, the way that the Europeans, for example, uh, to some extent, have been able to do, right? So that might very well happen.
0: But, I mean, doesn't something really, really bad need to happen for people to get there? I mean, I'm guessing that somewhere down the road, after what's happened in Israel, thinking people will will question, they already are, you know, <laughs> to what extent their their own failures and policies led to this. So what kind i mean that's the success of this regime as you said everything is done very gradually very systematically um the big conflicts have been moved beyond turkey's borders like with the kurds for instance so where does that pressure come from of course the economic collapse that people were praying for anyway people who want this regime to go were, i mean they'd never admit that but obviously they saw that as the last chance for, for, for this regime to go um that's that's not happening either so uh, and i hope it doesn't for the sake of, of all the people back back home but um it, it, i'm just trying to yeah i this, mean that, it's the... stuff that happens outside turkey's borders too that turkey has no control over ultimately perhaps that can shift things as well we just don't know
1: yeah, things seem to be becoming riskier and riskier. Um, oh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. You know,
1: organized violence on, on a larger and larger scale. More wars around Turkey. Turkey's participating in more wars as well. Um, also, internally in Turkey, right? Um, There's migrant populations moving in into different parts from yeah. different parts of the world. So I, said,
0: I did say uh, that was my final question. We have run way over time, but that's fine. And I apologize to the audience for my dog's panting. Um, the Syrians, I mean, Turkey is in for a huge, well, huge, a, a, a significant demographic shift, isn't it? Where you know, you're gonna have a, a significant Arab population, right? And yeah. one that you can't really assimilate and, you know, you can't call them desert Turks or whatever. You, They're, they're going to keep speaking Arabic and, you know, living their culture the way they lived it back home. I mean, how does Turkey deal with that? That's one of the big challenges that I see uh, further down the line. And which is why I also think politicians like um, the guy Umit Özdar do have a future of sorts.
1: Yeah, it it seems that that's where things are things are headed, where um, where the the well domestically. I think that the the big the big dividing line, especially in this election, was well. well there were two things: there was the economy, and there was migration, right? those were the two themes for the opposition and I think uh, we'll, we'll keep seeing those two themes with migration sort of increasing in importance because a lot of people who, who didn't sign up for the Erdogan project, which is at least half the country will feel down the line that you know you, you've sold the country away you've you've radically changed. The demography of the country which which is different to you know changing the institutional structure or, or, or changing its alliance structure what, what whatever you have right but demographics is, is something that people are sensitive to in a, in a whole different way um so if i was in the government's place and if i was thinking about the longevity of the thing i've built um, th- this would be this would be the thing that i'd be most concerned about i think because at this point, you know, the, the, this is an intensely nationalistic society, and and the linguistic fault line and the cultural fault lines are do tend to be very important, right? Um, so yeah, that that is a problem they're going to have down the line.
0: Plus, if you look at the hinterland, I mean, in Syria, north all along that border, you have very militant groups with guns roaming yeah. around and. We just don't know the extent to which they've penetrated at least border towns, what kind of, you know, cells they may have. And, I
1: mean, and organized crime is becoming bigger
0: that and bigger. There are criminal networks. It's not just ideology. It's, as you say, a, a lot of that happening too. But um, at the end of the day, I, I, I would say that I still have hope for Turkey and uh, infinite faith. In the Turkish people's ability to regenerate. And when I say Turkish people, I mean uh the citizens of Turkey. Um, and I'm a proud one. And um, I think, as you do, I love my country and uh, I remain hopeful in the future.
1: Yeah, there is always hope. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, come on, see. Well,
1: no, I, uh, I'm hopeful as well. I I mean, as I said, may, maybe this is something that we as a country had to live through to get through our system. But as you said, my fear is that something very bad has to happen before. Before.
0: Things get better. Yeah. And that's, of course, no consolation to all those innocent people who are in Turkish jails on trumped-up charges, people like mm. Osman Kavala and mm. Selatine Demirtas, Gultan Kishanak and Njida Matar, and the list goes on and on and on. And that's what's really depressing, and the fact that torture is again prevalent, all of these things that Erdogan himself had addressed in the early years. Um, well, but then I do want to end on a hopeful note, so I'm, I insist. I do believe that things will get it better eventually thank you so much selim for joining us here today it was great talking to you
1: thank you for having me
0: and this brings us to the end of on the middle east thanks for tuning in and please do go to our website www.al-monitor.com for in-depth reporting on the gaza conflict and much much more I hope to be back soon with you again with another episode of On the Middle East. Thanks again and goodbye.